But 1 Corinthians chapter 16, our focus text this morning is going to be verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. Hear now the word of God, which is written for you and for me today. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, beloved in Christ, uh, let us pray to the Lord and ask him for his blessing on the preaching of his word uh, before we hear it. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray, Lord, that you would nourish our souls this very morning. This is your word to us. We pray for your spirit's work to reveal the truth of it in our hearts. We pray that you would enlighten our minds, that you would quicken our hands and feet in obedience to that which you call us to. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, beloved, as we move into this next chapter, chapter 16 of this epistle, this is the final chapter of the letter which contains the Apostle Paul's final words of instruction and answers to the Corinthians' questions. Now, if you recall, in the first six chapters, Paul addressed concerns reported to him about sin in the congregation and their status. And in the remaining ten chapters, Paul didn't stop providing guidance and correction to errors in doctrine and life in the church. However, he did so within the context of responding to questions that the saints posed to him. And as we've made our way through studying and learning from God's truth in these chapters, we've seen consistent themes of the fruit of doctrinal deviation and error that created problems that desperately needed remedies to resolve a variety of interpersonal relationship matters in the church. And in order to restore and maintain the peace and the purity and the unity of the church. For part of the lure that drew many of the Corinthians away from the truth showed itself to skew their view of God and his worship as well. Most recently, Paul has applied the healing salve of the gospel to bear on the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ and of the resurrection of the dead. And part of the benefit of that wonderful ointment of the word is the enlightened and strengthened hope that we have in Christ, built up and stronger and more encouraged and comforted than we were before, I pray. And we have been enlightened and strengthened in that hope 
that which is to come at, at his return and the resurrection of our bodies, the, the wonderful truths that Paul taught us there, coupled with the comfort and the courage and the passion that we must have in walking and standing in that truth now. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death isn't the end, praise the Lord. And knowing the glory to come affects our firm standing now. Our resolve to stand, as Paul said, immovable. Our focus and joy in abounding in the work of the Lord. Having confidence in the promises of God that our labors for Christ and His glory aren't and won't be in vain. And so in chapter 16... As Paul starts to conclude this letter, he answers yet another question regarding worship, and that particularly being in regards to our giving to God and the collection for the saints. Some of you may have wondered why we call the taking of our tithes and offerings in our order of worship the collection for the saints. This verse is why. As we consider our passage, let us be blessed as we look at the practice of the collection in the churches in verse 1, when the collection should be taken in verse 2, and the bearing of the gift then to others in verses 3 and 4. And so Paul begins to talk about the practice as he says in verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints. Remember that when he answered each question that the Corinthians had in this letter, he began with those very words, now concerning. I'm changing gears. I'm switching to another subject that you've asked me about. So now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you also must do. Beloved, see that Paul's instruction to the saints in Corinth about the practice of taking a collection wasn't exclusive to them, and they needed to know that. He had already given orders to other churches to do the same. One of the important things that Paul carried out in his third missionary journey was to raise an offering from the Gentiles to help Jewish Christians who were in need as a result of of severe persecution in Judea. On the day of Pentecost, you may recall that the apostles first preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified in Jerusalem. Thousands of converts joined the church. We see that wonderfully in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 42. But not long after that, the local Jewish authorities began persecuting these new believers, persecuting the church. Scripture teaches us that Saul of Tarsus harassed the church. And the persecution of believers that followed led to great poverty as their businesses and their ways of life were shunned and boycotted, and many of the saints were scattered. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, the writer encourages the saints regarding how they, quote, joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Hard words, but encouraging. Hard times, 
but comforting. Their homes were broken into and plundered. And all of this material persecution brought great hardship to these persecuted Christians in and around Jerusalem, and they needed help. And so Paul worked to raise an offering among the Gentile congregations to help their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem in their time of need. And we find evidence of his labors in 2 Corinthians 8 as well as Romans 15. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We read, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, Then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. God's people helping one another. God's people extending the love of Christ in meeting specific needs. Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 27. Paul says, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Beloved, know that Corinth was one of the churches located in Achaia. And... This was a wonderful, again, a wonderful opportunity to minister to those, really a diaconal ministry in many regards, uh, to those who were in need in Jerusalem. So in verse 1 here in 1 Corinthians 16, notice that the Galatian congregations had already been given orders by Paul. Paul briefly refers to this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. And as Paul is responding to a question about the collection that some in the congregation had, Paul clearly had talked to them about this project and endeavor before. But some may have had reservations later. And so here Paul comes in this epistle to write and to clarify. And therefore, any reservations indeed needed to be cleared up so that the church in Corinth wasn't outdone by the giving of the churches in Galatia, when the Corinthians were able to be generous and to give liberally, knowing that they had the means and the material blessing of God to do so. In fact, beloved, when believers hear of other brothers and sisters in serious need, what should be true for us? It should be true that our hearts sincerely go out to them. We should consider ways that we can show Christ-like love and, and be a blessing to them by wisely contributing to meeting their needs with 
generosity. If you remember 1 John 3, 16 through 18, remember what John says regarding love and what the outworking of it looks like. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Our words need to have feet. Beloved, we need to prayerfully consider and to prayerfully seek the Lord that he would provide and bless so that even in these kinds of ways, our desires and as our hearts go out to brothers and sisters in need, that so can the providing for them or contributing to relieve their need. And so what practice were the saints in Corinth and really all the churches to have in place? Look at verse 2 in 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So, beloved, Paul lays out the timing of a weekly collection here. Know that when he uses the first day of the week language, he is referring to the Christian Sabbath. Sunday was made to be that day, as it was the day that Christ rose from the grave. We we see this clearly identified in his resurrection accounts in all of the Gospels. Matthew 28, verse 1, Mark 16, verse 2, Luke 24, verse 1, as well as John 20, verse 1. And it was the same evening that the resurrected Lord Jesus met with his disciples as they were assembled together. We see this in John 20, just later in John's account, same chapter, verses 18 through 26. And further, in Acts 20, verse 7, we find the Christians in the early church meeting on the Lord's Day to break bread as part of their worship together as Paul preached and taught the word to them. And further, the Greek phrase here in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, kata mion sabatu, you can hear in that word sabatu, what English word that comes out of it. It clearly states this as it literally means every first of the week or every Sabbath. Every Sabbath, every Lord's Day. And so Paul said every Lord's Day, each one of the saints, they were to lay something aside. No one is exempt. No one was to be left out. No one was free from that responsibility. Not the leadership, not the pastor, right? Sometimes in our modern churches, and it's nothing new, it goes beyond the modern church, but sometimes pastors may fall into the error of thinking, "Ah, I really don't have to give a tithe or an offering. I mean, the church gives to me, they provide for my livelihood, so we're good, right? No. Pastors, leadership, 
all of God's people should be giving to the Lord as he requires. All were responsible to set aside their tithe and offering, and that portion of the Lord's material blessing was to be set aside, and, and literally this, the, this word and phrase of being set aside is to be treasured up, to be treasured up in proportion to how the Lord had prospered each one. Notice. These funds were to be stored up, to be given to others. See the, the orderliness here. See the disciplined commitment here. Sometimes we may think to ourselves, yeah, giving with what I have, it's just not really possible. I've spent what we have, or I've spent what's there, and I have nothing else. Well, we'll consider in a few moments really what the Lord calls us to do in giving, even as we consider the first fruits, right? Beloved, it takes love-fueled discipline and commitment to lay aside what we ought. Right? Christ showed this wonderfully as he set aside his glory to come down, to become man, and to live and to die and to rise for us. All fueled by the deep, deep, immeasurable love of God. But we must have love-fueled discipline and commitment to lay aside what we ought. We can easily spend what we have on ourselves without considering and doing our part and laying some aside for the church, for the people within her pale. Also see the wonderful acknowledgement here in this verse that Paul gives that God causes us to prosper. God causes us to prosper. God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. My friends, it's true that we are to praise God in times of lean and times of plenty. Paul teaches us that he learned to be content in both. And I make mention that he learned, he said. Right? He learned to be content in both. We should praise God for either. And yet, as he prospers us, we must be mindful that our prosperity and our success are from him and not from ourselves or our own strength. God is to be honored with it all, with all that we are, with all that we have. It's according to God's bounty and blessing that we have all that we have, and therefore, whatever we have is to be used for him, for his purposes and his glory. And here comes Paul to Corinth saying, here are his purposes. Consider the collection for the saints and let me clarify some things for you as to how you should do it. Matthew Henry says this, Indeed, all our charity and benevolence should be free and cheerful, for that re and for that reason should be made as easy to ourselves as may be. And what more likely way to make us easy in this matter than thus to lay by? 
And by lay by, he's referring to this laying aside. We may cheerfully give when we know that we can spare and that we have been laying by in store that we may. Beloved, this needs to be part of our mindset. This needs to be part of our operation and our thinking as the people of God. Remember Paul's words to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. And so the Lord's Day, beloved, was the appropriate day and time for the collection for the saints to take place. No collections, Paul said, were to be taken when he arrived, so that there was no rush in trying to get it or just to kind of throw something together, and the gift would be ready to send. Intentional, planned out, part of the life of the church and her ministry to others. Now, some may ask, but pastor, this looks to be a special collection for the saints in Jerusalem in a time of need. Can we really apply this more broadly to the general collection of our tithes and offerings as well? That's a great, that's a great question. And yes, it's true that this is a specific collection for a specific need in a different congregation outside of the Corinthian church. However, both special collections and general collections are right and appropriate in the universal church. We know that from the teaching of Scripture. The principle and practice of our giving as we are gathered on the Lord's Day is definitely clear here. In fact, our, our public directory, or excuse me, our directory of public worship, uh, section 24A, guides us and says, The bringing of offerings in the public assembly of God's people on the Lord's Day is a solemn act of worship to Almighty God. The people of God are to set aside to him the first fruits of their labors. In doing so, they should present themselves with thanksgiving as living sacrifices to God. All should participate in this act of worship when God gives opportunity for it. Parents are to instruct and encourage their children by precept and example to give of their substance regularly, purposefully, generously, and joyfully to the Lord through his church. And so if we grasp this, if we see the importance of this, even within the worship of God on the Lord's Day as his people gathered in this place, Some of you may also ask, if God's people are to bring offerings as an act of worship, what should we bring? How much should we bring? Well, the Hebrew word for tithe means tenth. The Hebrew word for offering means contribution. The basic principle in Scripture is that every person is to return one-tenth of his increase, his firstfruits, to the Lord. Offerings are any amount that you would desire to give above the tithe. And so as we consider this, and as we consider what's to be given, how should we give? Well, we know that Scripture teaches us as well that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. 
We should give with joy in our hearts to the Lord. This is his. We are just stewards of what he has given us. And so our cheerful giving to the church is important. We're not misers. We don't try to hang on to what truly doesn't belong to us. But we follow what the Lord requires of us. But if we withhold our tithe, does God care? If we don't give, does does God care? Does it really matter? How does he look at that? Consider Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Here are some convicting questions here, some challenging questions. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You were cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. We oftentimes, beloved, need to make sure that we get this straight and keep this straight in our minds and in our hearts. See this very severe warning that the Lord gives here and see the blessing here in obedience. There is warning in disobedience. Don't rob me, he says. And this is what you're doing. If you you have any doubt, if you need me to be crystal clear about this, this is what you're doing in not giving your tithes and offerings, says the Lord through Malachi. Does God care? Yes, he does. Don't rob me. But in addition, bring them. Bring them. And what does he promise? He promises blessing. He promises to open the windows of heaven. And so know that the Lord blesses you as you are faithful in this. Again, as we consider this along with 1 Corinthians 16. Give even as the Lord prospers you. Give in times of lean and times of plenty. There isn't a time where we shouldn't give, but our giving is proportionate to the Lord's provision and blessing of us. But Paul continues and and wraps up this part of the pericope in verses 3 and 4 by talking about the bearing of the gift to others. So he tells them, this is when you should collect This is how that collection should happen, and now this is what should be done with it, right? In verse 3, he says, And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So, beloved, see here that Paul wanted to make sure that everything was done rightly and in good order and, and above reproach. Right? And therefore, to avoid any concerns or suspicions surrounding Paul's handling and delivery of the gift, his handling and delivery of the money, he requested that the saints choose someone to deliver the collection to the saints in Jerusalem. 
And further, if it was proper and appropriate for him to do so, if it would be otherwise of benefit for him to come along on the journey or for them to go along with him, if his, if his presence was determined to be of comfort and encouragement to the saints in Corinth or even to the saints in, uh, in Jerusalem, then he would be willing to go. And he would accompany that person to make the delivery. And so in this, in this wonderful text here, beloved, I want to encourage you in two things. As the Apostle Paul has been pressing the multifaceted aspects of the unity of Christ's church to the Corinthians, as he has undergirded all of that with love, right? the greatest gift, as he has undergirded all of this, as he's interwoven all of this with love, they needed to see and they needed to grasp the connection and the unity, not only within their own body as they were together and as they were gathered together, they, only, they not only had their own matters to fix and repair by the grace and the work of, of the Spirit of God, but also they needed to grasp their connection and their unity with the broader body of Christ as well. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is one church. And with loving care and concern for one another, it is good and it's right for us to, to be aware of and responsive as a body to our own needs, as well as to the needs of others, as the Lord would provide. Even to other churches outside of our own, as we are able. We honestly, brothers and sisters, we have been uh, blessed as recipients of such gifts in the past, from sister congregations who desire to see us prosper by the Lord's mercies in our times of need. And so we've been the recipients of those things. We, we also need to be mindful of uh, being a blessing to others, again, as the Lord would provide. But I also want you to take with you a refreshed understanding that the bringing of our tithes and offerings to the Lord is an act of worship. It's, it's therefore to be faithful and, and joyful in your discipline and commitment in giving on the Lord's day, giving to the Lord and returning that which is His. And further, if you have children, teach them by instruction and example, right? Don't just tell them what you do. That's good. You should do that. But also teach them. Walk them through it. Have them engage in that practice themselves. Even if it's a penny or a dime or a quarter or whatever it may be. And, and as your children get older and they become an uh, age where they're working, um, that principle should be in practice in their lives as well. When they're gaining income and the Lord's providing increase personally in their lives, they should be seeing that as well, not just as a work of the family, but also in their own involvement in that and giving to the Lord as well. And they sh that they would do so regularly, but also purposefully and, and generously and, and joyfully to the Lord through his church. And then be thankful for the Lord's blessing of your obedience. 
Passages like this, in some senses, are simple. The message is easy and clear. But also, the Lord brings conviction and challenge. This passage is a clear passage, but it's also a challenging passage. And I hope and pray that it challenges all of us, myself included. That we would have a heart that is right before the Lord and fueled with love that is undergirding this collection and desiring to give. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together.